Hello, and welcome to the Turbulent World of Middle East Soccer, or Mid-East Soccer podcast. I'm your host, James Dorsey. A disagreement between major Indonesian religious leaders and the government has erupted on how to respond to China's crackdown on Turkic Muslims. The rift raises questions about the Islamic world's ability to sustain its silence about what amounts to one of the most concerted assaults on the faith in recent history. Rejecting a call on the government by the Indonesian Ulema Council, the country's top clerical body, to condemn the crackdown that has seen up to one million Turkic Muslims detained in re-education camps in China's northwestern province of Xinjiang. Indonesian Vice President Yusuf Kala insisted that the government would not interfere in the internal affairs of others. The disagreement could take on greater significance after elections in April next year, which incumbent President Joko Widodo is expected to win. Mr. Widodo's vice presidential running mate, Maruf Amin, is the Ulama Council's chairman. Since joining the presidential ticket, Mr. Amin has retained his council position as non-active chairman. Nonetheless, eager to attract Chinese infrastructure investment, Mr. Kala's position is in line with a majority of Muslim countries who have opted to remain silent in a bid not to jeopardize relations with the People's Republic, even if many of them have responded angrily to far less threatening incidents, such as the condemnation of British writer Salman Rushdie for his novel, The Satanic Verses, the cartoon depiction in Denmark of the Prophet Muhammad, and the burning of a Quran by an American pastor. In a similar vein, Mushahid Hussein, chairman of Pakistan's Senate Foreign Affairs Committee, said the cardinal principle of Pakistan-China relations was to refrain from commenting on anything to do with another country's domestic issues, even though some 200 small Pakistani businessmen have been campaigning for the release of their Uyghur spouses from Chinese camps and to either lift the travel ban on their children or be allowed to visit them. Given the relationship of Pakistan with China, and in the Muslim world in particular, the Chinese narrative is apparently being accepted across the board as the one that is correct, Mr. Hussein told Associated Press. By the same token, Turkey, with its ethnic and cultural links to China's Turkic Muslims and past support for Uyghur aspirations, has adopted a similar attitude, with Chinese investment and financial aid expanding. With the exception of a few protests in Bangladesh and India, and critical statements by Malaysian leaders, Muslims across the globe have largely refrained from pressuring their governments to speak out about developments in Xinjiang. If anything, China retains its status as Asia's top tourism destination for Muslim travelers. Nabil Sharif, founder of UK-based halal holiday company Serendipity TaylorMade, struggled with the ethical aspects of promoting Muslim tourism to China, but concluded that in a way, it makes sure the Uyghur community are not forgotten. 
Mr. Sharif's justification notwithstanding, there is little public evidence of the plight of China's Turkic Muslims being in the Muslim public eye. Muslim and Chinese leaders appear to be betting that the silence is sustainable. That threatens to be a risky strategy. For one, the crackdown in Xinjiang is expanding to the Wei, China's non-Turkic Muslims. The autonomous region of Ninjawei recently signed a cooperation agreement on anti-terrorism with Xinjiang in a bid to learn from the crackdown on the Turkic Muslims, or in the words of the Global Times, a Communist Party organ, to learn from Xinjiang's experience in promoting social stability. Mounting Western criticism of the crackdown that is the toughest on Muslims, but also targets other religious groups, including evangelists, puts Muslim nations on the spot. The criticism is likely to lead to Western companies boycotting products made in Xinjiang by inmates of the re-education camps, which China describes as institutions for vocational training, or people who were recently released but forced to work in factories associated with the crackdown. An Associated Press investigation published this week tracked the shipment of sportswear from a factory linked to the camps to Badger Sportswear in the United States that supplies university bookshops and sports teams around the country. We will voluntarily halt sourcing and will move production elsewhere while we investigate the matters raised, said Badger CEO John Anton. New Jersey Republican Congressman Chris Smith a member of the House Foreign Relations Committee called on the Trump administration to ban imports from Chinese companies associated with detention camps. A potential black swan is anti-Chinese sentiment in a number of Muslim countries, some of which have ethnic links to China's Turkic Muslims as a result of perceptions of Chinese commercial terms for project finance and loans associated with the People's Republic infrastructure-driven Belt and Road Initiative that are perceived to be debt traps. In an illustration of the risk, Kunesh Sultanov, a member of the Kazakh parliament and former deputy prime minister and ambassador to China, took issue with the government's walking a tightrope, attempting to balance its relations with China with its need to stand up for the rights of Kazakhs. There should be talks taking place with Chinese delegates, Every delegation that goes there should be bringing this topic up. The key issue is that of the human rights of ethnic Kazakhs in any country of the world being respected, Mr. Sultanov said after a Chinese camp worker of Kazakh descent who had escaped to the Central Asian Republic testified in court about what she had witnessed. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. A written version of this podcast is on my blog, The Turbulent World of Middle East Soccer at mideastsoccer.blogspot.com. Please join me for my next podcast in the coming days. All the best for the holiday season and take care.